It's not always about musicians. Engineers are important, producers are important, and even techs and roadies are important. Welcome to TK's A-Brigade, the music series. I'm your host, TK. Today we have a guest who hails from San Diego, California. His name is Mark Suhone. Now, Mark and I worked on a few singles in the past, so I decided to reach out and see if he'd come share his journey. So we're going to dive into that story right now. So I hope you enjoy it. As we get near the end of season four of the music series, I have a few more artists, but today we're going to talk to Mark. So turn your radios up and listen in here on TK's A-Brigade. Welcome again to the season of musicians. Uh, this time we are talking with a multi-talented artist, producer, engineer. His name is Mark. Go ahead and say hi, Mark. Uh, hello. Thanks for having me. So, funny story for the listeners, and I say funny is an interesting, some people think funny is an haha, but this one's in more of an interesting thing. Uh, about three and a half, four years ago, I was on Facebook and I was looking for an engineer to, uh, you know, mix and master a single that I had been working on for, uh, I don't know, three decades. But um, no, I'm just kidding. But uh, no, but so I, I saw you on Facebook and I saw what you, you know, like, just the credits and everything that you do musically and i was like i wonder what this cat would do to a song of mine if i send it to him and so i reached out to you and i said hey i got the song and you know we discussed price and you said yeah man and i sent it to you i don't know if you remember any of this um i mean okay okay some people are like what do you like some artists that i'm talking to i've been knowing them for years and and they're like who who is this who am i talking to i'm like really (laughs) yeah dude so but, uh, you know, that song, ironically, um, that song, it's called Love Has a Way. Um, the f- featured guitar player, his name is Michael Hornbuckle. And he was the first interview that I did on this music series. So um, I, I, I'm just really honored that you were willing to come on and share with me your journey. So this is how I'm going to kick this off. First question is this. How did you get into music, or how, what inspired you to like go that direction in life? Yeah, uh, well, it's it started early. To be honest, uh, my parents were both musicians. My mother was a music teacher at a school. She taught piano lessons, um, and she played in the church band, um, organ and piano. Okay. And since I was born, she was doing that. And then my dad was a professional clarinet player in the Chicago Symphony. Oh, wow. So that's, that's like kind of right before I was born. And then kind of because I was born and my other siblings were born, he kind of had to quit that job and become an accountant. But he was also, you know, super busy and um, integrated with the church band as well. So, you know, we went to church two, three times every week, and they were doing music all the time. And, of course, I'm tagging along, and I'm just, you know, absorbing it. So that was my early, early experience since I was born. Um, and then, of course, my mom was a piano teacher, so they're like, well, we're going to teach you piano. But I don't know if you ever try to uh, teach your own kids an instrument um, <laughs> yes. or something. You know, it's, it's a little different. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's kind of like, I don't want to learn from you because you're my mom, you know. Yeah. And so it didn't go very well. Um, and so they brought me to another piano teacher. And I was like, 
still not feeling this. So they're like, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I like rhythm. I like tangible things. I want to put my hands on something and bang on stuff. So they got me some sticks and just let me like bang around on pots and pans, you know, the old cliche and boxes and stuff. But but I, I just went crazy on that. So when I was nine, they got me drum lessons. They got me a drum set, you know, and it was just like instant, you know, chemistry. Um, and by the time I was 11, they, I, I was going to say asked me to play, but they basically told me I have to play in their church band. Oh boy. <laughs> so, so at 11, you know, I'm basically getting up every Sunday super early like way too early for an 11 year old oh on sunday I'm absolutely going down into the basement. <laughs> i'm picking up all my drums one at a time carrying them upstairs into the garage loading them into a car driving to the nearest uh, junior high school uh carrying them into a gym and you know playing it in this gym every single sunday <laughs> and you know it wasn't like my most favorite thing Probably just because it was so much work carrying drums. Oh, man. Uh, But still, it was such good experience because I just learned to play consistently, play with other people, learn songs, memorize stuff, play with feel, play with dynamics, you know, be sensitive to other players, uh, which, you know, it's like something you just have to learn in real time. You know, you can't just teach that in a book. You know, like, listen to these people, play this way. It's like, you just got to learn that real-time experience. So I did. And so from 11 all until 19, I played drums in my in my church band. Um, in the meantime, when I went to high school, I joined the drum line. And, and I went to Ponderosa High School in Parker, Colorado. And we had a really good drum line, um, you know, one of the highest-ranked, in the state and then later become one of the highest ranked in the world so i joined that drum line they put me on to center snare drum as drum captain as a freshman let's go no idea what i was doing but (laughs) um so i did that for five years um and i say five because i did four years of high school and then i joined the blue knights uh drum line which is a drum corps um, and I did that an extra year. So I did five years of that. And um, just, you know, I don't know if, if anyone knows, you know, the marching band world, but it is a grind. It is like being in the military, but you're doing music. I mean, they just drill you to death. Um, and you build chops like crazy and you learn discipline like crazy. Um, so that's, that's kind of like the the origins of my music there's a lot after that point um that is like the pre-professional stage if you will um that was just all school age and then after that then i go to point loma nazarene university in san diego california which is where i still live and that's where i joined my first band that is just kind of for fun but that quickly turned into like a profession because churches wanted to have us play um Hume Lake Christian Camps which is a massive Christian camp up in Northern California hired us to go be their their winter band uh another church um or another um church camp in Mount Hermon hired us and so I'm getting paid for all that so 
Wow. By the time I was 1920, I was kind of starting to get paid to do, you know, what I loved already. So that's crazy. That's, All right, hey, so I want to ask a question perfect. real quick, Mark. I want to ask this question because you had said um, here a couple of minutes ago that uh, you went to Parker High School. So you're a Colorado native. Born and raised. Really? That's so crazy because I am literally sitting in Denver right now and you are in warm Southern California and I'm in like, it's like 13 degrees outside right now. (laughs) And it is very cold. Uh, And I didn't mean to cut you off. I just, the, the, uh, already, I'm already intrigued at the fact that you grew up in the church and you played drums uh, for church music. So the yeah. requirement to be, uh, I don't want to use the term talented at the time because, I mean, obviously you have to have talent, I think, to be able to proceed with it. But just the grind, right? Like you said, you're hauling drums out of your basement. You know, you're, you're going to Sunday service. You're at church two, three, four times a week. I know that feeling, my brother, because I spent seven days a week at church because I went to school there. And then we had youth group like three nights a week. And then we had Saturday service. So I, I feel you. I, I understand where you're coming from. So, <laughs> so here we are. You're in your 20s. You're starting to get paid professionally as a professional musician, and you're kind of doing the church thing. You're still doing, um, like, you're still playing in church. But so this is like right, right around your, your early 20s is when you started becoming like serious, serious about it. Or was that? Am I right about that? Well, so yeah, when we got hired as a band um, to go play at Hume Lake Christian Camps, which is up in Northern California, uh, you know, it was a huge deal. So we were like amped to do it. I mean, it was like a real honor. Uh, It was kind of like one of those things where it's kind of a launching pad for a lot of prior bands. You know, like we knew like so-and-so band got their start at Hume Lake. And this band, you know, so we were definitely going to do it. We we're super excited. And it's just fun. I mean, camps are... A blast. Uh, you know, for, for those that have been to camps, it's just like this intense, uh, concentrated, social... Everything's just concentrated. You yes, know? yes. There's a lot of energy. So, you know, we were, we were excited to do it. Um, but one of the big requirements for me was that I had to stop going to college because we had to move to Northern California and we had to live there for like three, I don't know, three, four months at a time. Okay. So I was going to miss school. I wasn't going to (laughs) commute. Yeah. Probably not going to work very well. (laughs) Yeah. I had heard of some people that did it, but I, you know, I was just not the scholastic type. Um, I just, you know, it was a struggle for me. I just don't sure. have that kind of brain that works that well with school. Right. So I was already just kind of struggling, like looking for any excuse. But, you know, it's like, it's, it, it, it's a tradition. You know, you go to college, you do your four years, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I was like, well, I'll probably just do that. But the Hume Lake thing was such a big deal where, like, I asked my parents, are you cool if I just take off a you know, like one semester and just go do this Hume Lake. And um, they were super supportive. They're like, yeah, that sounds like a really good opportunity. Yeah, you should do that. And I was like, oh, really? Okay. So I went and did one one full winter up there. It was great, super successful. It really did launch the band in some ways, you know, like we never became famous by any means, but it just got us like 
really going, you know. So I was like, you know, Dad, Mom, this is going really well. I kind of want to do it again. Um, and, you know, they asked us to come back. So I was like, uh, are you guys cool if I do this? And and I, I was kind of shocked. They said, you actually think you should just don't go back to school. Just do wow. the band thing for a while. Parents are encouraging like, that. That's that's very rare. Uh, yeah, right? I mean, it's you don't hear that too often. And I knew that at the time. Um, and I also knew, you know, they understand music. They've they've done it. They know how hard it is. But they knew I had such a big passion for it. It was like my only goal in life was just make it as a musician. I mean, such a huge passion. And they saw that. So they were like, yeah, you know, why don't you just do this for a while you can always go back to school if you need to but it seems like you have this huge open door um go go just do whatever you need to do so so i just kind of uh dropped out of college and went back to these camps and started playing these camps which turned into tons of um you know shows gigs church services whatever you want to call it i mean it was a mixed bag you know it's like come play at our church do some church songs and then go do a concert here over here in the park and um we just did that for like three more years just solid and that wow. was practically all i did um so that was that was the next stage that really shot me into kind of the, the professional stage if you will yeah now was this all in california or were you traveling outside of california going to other states to do uh, the church camps and stuff this was just California. Wow. Um, you know, we would do a little bit here and there of like Colorado, Arizona, even Mexico. Uh, but really it was just like West Coast, California. I mean, California is such a big state yeah. that you can practically tour California up and down and back and forth. For years and so never, yeah. <laughs> play all yeah. different venues I, I i completely can i agree with you there yeah that's crazy so okay so here we are um what year is this that you were doing these things um okay this would be let's see i went to college 97 so that puts me in uh 99 to 2004 okay right around there okay. yeah i'm like 20 to 24 years old 25 okay yeah. Okay, so you and I are about the same age. So you're, uh, so here you are hauling all these drums around. I'm sure at some point you probably started to minimize your kit, so you wouldn't have to haul around a, a Mike Portnier style drum set, right? <laughs> well, I did, I did, I did two things. I actually got a bigger kit. Oh as boy, Carter Beaufort. Oh yeah, Matthew's band. Yes, was so awesome to me. So I was like, well, I think I need four times. I need. China. I need two splashes because oh, Carter's got two. Right. So I actually did. I went bigger, but the the brilliant thing was I got a cage uh, that everything was just mounted on and basically stayed mounted on. Yep. So I didn't have tons of hardware. So I did like this bigger but more efficient move. It oh, wasn't boy. until I was a little bit more mid late twenties that I started gigging even more, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> now it's time to dial back. Two toms, you know, yeah, I got smart. Carter Beaufort, bro. That's uh, uh, you know, I did a uh, interview with a friend of mine. His name is Nate, and that was one of the questions I asked him. Who was his biggest drummer inspiration? 
and I love Carter Beaufort. He is hands down one of my favorite drummers. So when you yeah. when you bring him up, man, like just watching him play, you know, if, if you emulated him in your style, then I am excited to go and find old VHS tapes of you <laughs> playing drums because Carter, man, that dude, like honestly, bro, like yeah. he's probably one of my if, if I, I I wouldn't consider myself a drummer. I mean, I played drums for 25 years, but I don't consider myself a drummer. But I would say, like, as far as just, like, chops and just watching moves and things, I think, yeah, Carter Beaufort's definitely one of those one of those types. So, all right, so... Absolutely. He, go ahead. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Uh, I was going to say, he, he just had that perfect blend of chops, but not overusing it. Yes. Like, creativity, but not too weird. I mean, he's very accessible, but then would just throw in these little tasty nuggets that was like, oh, hey, what was that? Yep. You know, yep. that was so creative or that was so tasty. Yes. Uh, so he had that, that perfect balance. Because I knew of other drummers who were like technical and fast and you're like, wow, that's incredible. But Or other people that were all like, they had this great feel, but it was just boring to me. You know, yep. I was a chops guy at the time. I just came from this drum core world and I was like, I can play really fast. I'd like to, but I also want to, you know, because you just gotta. Yep. So, uh, <laughs> Carter was like that perfect little blend, and I think that took a lot. That's awesome. All right, so now you're so you're touring around California, uh, big drum set, playing all these gigs. Like, all right, where did your career go from there? Yeah, so probably when I was about 24, that band kind of stopped playing, and I was like. Okay, wow, okay. Uh, not my decision, you know. The couple guys just decided they needed to move away and move on. So, uh, you know, by that time I had met a lot of people in Southern California, San Diego, and um, who are musicians. You know, we're, we're all young, but we're all starting to get, like, hired for um, churches or, you know, we're kind of the up-and-coming church musicians. So... Um, I started, you know, instead of doing the one band thing, I started doing like the, the 10 band thing. Oh, wow. I'm like, 10 bands? I'm in 10 bands. Wow. I'm, I'm in this band that's like a top 40 band, but just doing bars and, you know, cover music. Yep. And then I'm in this band over here that's doing uh, church music. And then I'm in this band over here that's doing just funk covers. Nice. Um, you know, I'm playing at, the, at these like bars downtown San Diego that I've never been to, you know, it's super, super funny because, you know, everything I'd done was like very churchy. It's just a lot of, you know, middle-aged white people. And then I joined this funk band and it's all black musicians. I'm the only white guy. Oh boy. Little young, little white kid in the middle of all black bands. And I'm like, this is funny, you know, yeah. but it was so, such a good experience for me because uh, I mean, it was just a different way of playing music, different approach, different way to feel it. And man, I took so much away from that too. So I just start spreading myself out and playing in all these different bands at the same time, whoever would take me, you know, I'm just like, all right, let's, let's do it. You know? So I probably was playing in five or six bands pretty regularly for you know three or four years after oh, that wow. that's got to be a lot of uh 
mental, like just trying to remember all the sets and you know if you're going from one style to the next. Because if you were playing in like five funk bands, like you'd be like, okay. This is a style I'm playing for the next five days. But if you're going from like, you know, Southern rock to, you know, like Funkadelics and, you know, George Clinton or whatever, like, I mean, that's crazy because that I'm sure as you grew in your in the craft and grew in your ability, like those chops for the different styles were starting to just become second nature to you. Like, I mean, you're probably drumming on your steering wheel while you're driving to the coffee shop, right? Of course. Yeah. I mean, I had a pair of sticks in my car so that I could practice on my steering wheel whenever I could. You oh, know, yes. That's, that's when I just had boundless energy. And I was like, <laughs> any <laughs> chance I have, I'm going to start building my chops and just burn them out for the next 15 minutes because I can't. You know? Right. <laughs> it's a little different story now. But back then, man, I just I was like, I'm going to I'm going to make it here some way or another. So. Um, and at the same time I'm doing all those bands, I actually start teaching at Point Loma High School um, and Poway High School, these two different high schools, and I'm teaching the drum lines at those two high schools. So I still got a foot in the door with like this drum line marching band world. Okay. So I'm still teaching that stuff, which is a very different drum style. It's traditional style. It's crazy techniques i mean couldn't be any more different than drum kit type of stuff so there's just like another thing that i'm also doing to make money and expand my abilities you know and that's where i start learning how to be more of a a leader you know in a lot of ways because i'm running these marching bands so man it's funny talking about this and thinking about this now in retrospect i can't believe i was doing so many different things at the same time right (laughs) (laughs) like you said it's challenging to jump from marching band to then into a church and then to a funk band and then to this cover band that's all 90s rock i mean my goodness i don't know what i was thinking but you know it's like again boundless energy lots of time and you got to make it work somehow. So you just do whatever you can. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely <laughs> right. So at this point, you're playing in all these bands, you're, you're playing all these gigs, and you're just, you're hoping to, that one of these just hits it good or someone like notices you and, and, you know, you get whisked away. Is that kind of what you were hoping? Or were you, what was your, like, what was your long term goal at this point? Wow. My long-term goal, honestly, it was uh, let's just try to make enough money to keep going. You know, let's just take it one day at a time. I've never been so, so ambitious of a person that I'm like, I'm going to make, you know, the, the most money or get the best gig or do the biggest tour or become super famous. I mean... My only big goal was, I hope I win a Grammy sometime. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> That's a good goal, man. Besides, yeah, uh, you know, I'm still working towards that. Why not? Yeah. Uh, um, but, yeah, I've always just been like, hey, let's just try to make enough to, you know, make this a living. Because for, for all I knew, if I could just make it as a musician, that was success. I didn't need to be famous. I've never been about fame. I've never been about money or recognition i was like i just like to be able to do what i like to do yep so you know that's that was really the goal and and, you know there's a couple times when it was like 
here's some bigger people that are needing you to play. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And, um, but really it was like, let's just play with all the locals and get tons of experience um, and stay busy. And, you know, it's really interesting now in retrospect, I can see how that paid off big time because um, I was doing so many things locally on a smaller level that I, uh, I learned a lot of different things. And I met so many different people along the way. Like I met all these people that were church musicians over here. Right. And then way over here, I'm like getting to know all these guys who are like into funk. And then way over here, I'm like at this top 40 cover band. And I'm, I'm, I'm meeting all these people in bars and just very different people everywhere I go. So, and I'm still in touch with all of them to this day. I mean, it has been 20, 25 years and I've worked hard to stay in touch, but you know, I'm still in touch with so many of them and still work with many of them. So I'm like, wow, thank goodness that I just spread myself out and got to know people and kind of build, built that social circle, which I didn't know at the time that was important, but now I'm like, wow, that social connection, not just professionally, but even personally. Yeah. Man, it was a really big deal. Very, very valuable. Very valuable. Agreed. Um, in the long run. So, Agreed. yeah, super the, grateful for that. The networking of, of people, you know, whether it's in music or sports or church or I think, you know, wherever you're trying to create that network, you know, it's funny because you'll meet somebody and they might not be that significant at the time as far as like right. how they are integral in your life down the road. But, you know, 10, 12, 15 years later and that same person resurfaces and you're like, wait a minute, I, I knew you like 20 years ago. And they're like, yeah, man. And they're like, well, what do you do? Oh, you know, I'm the CEO of this Fortune 500 company or whatever. Right. And you're like, oh, sure. But that relationship yeah. was built on, you know, the previous, you know, decade or so or whatever. And now you have this, you know, like built in relationship and whether or not they're the type of person that helps you along your journey as far as, you know, financial success or, you know, you know, music or whatever. Yeah. But to have that network of people in your life, it's and not burning a bridge like that. I think that's important, man. That's that's super cool, bro. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, truly is one of the most important lessons I ever learned uh, in that time. And, and even now, I'm still just reminding myself, remember, you know, what you've been through, keep it up, you know, because it's been huge, huge, huge lesson. Um, I mean, probably the top three lessons I ever learned as a person and just as a professional. Right. It just get to know people keep relationships never burn them you know and you know i grew up with a kind of like you know love god love people attitude of like you know these are the important things so you know i was not about to take people down ever you know sure i just wanted to i, I just i knew the value of relationships so. that's important man yeah okay so when did you start to transition at what, or I should say, at what point in your career did you start to want to transition into doing more like studio work or producing or engineering? Like what, what triggered that? Yeah. Okay. So, um, let's see when I'm, let's say about 21, 22, 
Uh, I met this guy named Aaron Redfield. Um, he was a drummer as well. And he was, at the time, he was the drummer for the Newsboys. So if you know the Newsboys, very you know well. they were a real big deal at the time. Oh, very you well. Know, they're more yeah. obviously the Christian market, but they were a huge deal for a while. Oh, yes. Um, so he was super good, and he was such a nice guy. And he kind of took me under his wing for a little while and just became a good friend and mentor. But one of the key things that happened was he showed me this program called Reason. And I was like, okay, why would I be interested in this? And he goes, well, you know how you, you know, you make beats on your drum kit. Well, this is like a little computer program. It's on your computer and you can start programming beats. You know, and it works like an analog machine. You know, I'm looking at my uh, analog machine in my studio right here. I still have it from when I was, you know, 20 years old. It's this old Korg Electribe. And, you know, it's just got this grid and you type in, you know, these little beats and it makes this beat, you know, kind of a, the famous Roland 808 or 909 oh, yeah. type style. Yes. And, and he's like, well, you can do that on your computer. And it's the same thing except now you can load up any sound you want it's not just like whatever the sound the box comes with it's like you can put in every kick drum you could ever find and snare and claps and bass sounds and you know go Let's sample go. some birds chirping yes you can sample the birds yes and your, or your own voice you know and so i didn't know this at the time but he, he introduced me to what is like one of my favorite things I've ever experienced in my life. Um, wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm kind of an engineer computer geek at heart. Okay. And I'm also quite an introvert. So I can go into this uh, scientist like nerd mode where you just put me in a dark room and a computer and some music stuff oh, and no. I just go to town and oh, I just start evil creating genius. And creating <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so uh, that's where I started just going to town I managed to you know come up with a little bit of money and I bought my own computer I got this computer program and I just went to town for years all day staying up late into the night all night just making music on this program and so nothing really came out of my own music um but people said they did like it you know they're i got pretty positive feedback and you know it's kind of hard to tell because it's like well it's your friends right you know are they they're are they biased the best yeah <laughs> yeah you know, they're gonna probably be pretty nice and supportive but it seemed like everyone was kind of like oh yeah this is pretty cool you know whatever so I was like, all right, I'll keep going. Then fast forward just a couple years, um, I get married. Um, okay. At, uh, let's see how my 26, and my wife is one of the greatest people in the world. One of her great gifts is that she's like a leader, and she's very good at being productive and making money and starting businesses and she just comes up with the stuff and knows how to do it i'm the the awkward scientist musician you know in the corner that's like making music but i don't know how to make money <laughs> <laughs> oh, i know boy. how to stay up all night and make beats yep but 
how do I make money? That's not my forte. Yeah. Uh, that is her forte. Nice. So she says, we need to figure out how to get you making money off of this because obviously you love it and people like it. So, um, so we we would actually go to a, a coffee shop every week and we would have a business meeting on how I could make money or what I could do to make this into a business. And, you know, my So you and your like, wife were doing care. this. You, you and your wife yes. were doing, okay. I'm sorry, I just wanted to yes. clarify that. You and your wife would go to a weekly business. Uh, dude, that's amazing. By the way, shout out to the wives, bro. But, okay, that's, yes. that's amazing that your wife was that vested in what you were doing. I mean, a lot of times I think, you know, couples, you know, they each do their own thing and then they come together for dinner and time and that's kind of the gist of it. So, man, right. so you and guys. She, she's also a musician. So oh, okay. She knows, she's a vocal coach and a choral director. Okay. And so we both had this attitude of like, let's make our livings with music together. Not like doing the same job because we lived in very different worlds, but sure. let's figure out how to make these businesses work, you know, somehow. So what uh, what was your first big band that you got to work with uh, in the music scene? Uh, big band in the music scene. Ooh. Um, gosh, that's a good question. I might have to think about that for a minute. Cause <laughs> I, I'm th- I, I mean, I'm thinking like, you know, my wife says, you need to start working with all the local bands and artists. So like, right. I called up everyone, you know, like, should I... Uh, you know, can I can I produce something? Can I do remixes for you? Um, and you know, and everyone basically said, "Yeah." I was like, "I'll do it for free." So everyone just like, "Here, take this song, do a remix here." Um, so one of the first remixes I did was for Trevor Davis, um, and he was kind of this really big up and coming local legend here. Uh, he was like the next Jason Mraz at the time. Okay, um, and he let me do a remix. And everyone loved that. Um, but to answer your question, I, I actually think Phil Wickham would be wow. the first big artist I worked with. He was 18 at the time. Wow. And I saw him um, playing in a church, and I was like, this kid is so good. I mean, just well beyond his years. And, you know, I was just like, hey, let's, let's do something. Yeah. So he and I actually got together and made a song. And he's like 18, and I'm 26. Okay. Uh, and and we made a song, and I, I don't. I would say basically nobody's ever heard it except all the local people. But everyone that heard it just was freaking out, like, like, you know, they're they're kind of like spreading it around, put it, you know, sharing MP3s. And I even heard it in a store playing once. Let's yeah, go. That's awesome. Okay, this is a this is a good sign, right? Yeah, this is a good sign. If I can team up with the right people, that's a good thing. And obviously, if you know Phil Wickham, you know he's, you know, become one of the biggest people in Christian music now. Yeah. He's, you know, he's up there with Matt Redman and Chris Tomlin and everyone. So, um, but back then he was just this really talented kid. <laughs> so that was that was kind of the first big person I worked with. Who wasn't big yet, but was going to. Um, Up and the, coming. Yeah. Yeah. I got a fun story about the, Phil, actually. 
Um, okay. Because I didn't know who he was either when I first heard his name. I was doing uh, security for a festival here in Brighton, Colorado called Heaven Fest. And he was on the bill for the first day. And so I was in charge of taking artists, um, you know, running them around backstage. And, and I was head of the security for the main and the rock stage that year. And someone said, hey, there's an artist up at the merch tent uh, that needs a ride back to his bus. His name is Phil Wickham. Ironically, the day before, I had a conversation with my worship leader at church. Um, we had met there for something, and, and, and we were talking, and I asked him if he was going to come out to the festival, and he said, yeah, man, there's this really good singer-songwriter from, I think he's from California, right? Phil's from California. I, I, I think that's what he said. Yeah, but, San Diego. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but he's like, yeah, he's, he's this really good singer-songwriter. His name is Phil, and, you know, he's, he's really just... in you know, influenced me in the, his record, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, cool. Never heard of the guy. So next day I'm at the festival and, you know, I get a radio call. Hey, I need you to pick up this artist at the merch tent. And he needs to ride back to his tour bus. So I go up to the merch tent and I'm sitting there and I'm walking around. So I radio, I said, hey, what is the artist's name, by the way? And they said, it's his name is Phil Wickham. And they gave me a brief description of him. And I was like, okay, so I'm walking around and I'm, I'm asking people, hey, where is Phil Wickham's merch table? And they're like, oh, it's over there. So I'm in the wrong tent. So I walk across the way and I go and I'm looking around the tent and I'm probably walking around for 10 or 15 minutes. And finally I get a radio call and they're like, Travis, where are you at? And I said, I'm at the merch tent. They're like, well, we need you to pick Phil up at his tour bus and take him up to the merch tent. And I said, you told me to pick him up at the merch tent and take him back to the tour bus. And they're like, no, 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 it's the other way around. So I drive down to the, the where the buses were, and he's standing there. And I pull up, and you know, I'm like, hey, are you Phil? He's like, yeah. I was like, I'm sorry, man. I thought I was supposed to pick you up there. And he's like, it's all good. And he jumps on. And so anyways, we drove around because he didn't want to go to the merch tent yet because his signing wasn't for like another 45 minutes. He was going to do an autograph session. And uh, he's like, can you just drive me around the grounds? I'd like to just kind of see the people and and just check out the you know the festival and i said yeah man he's like do you have time for that and i said bro i have time for whatever you need man and so for the, like the next half an hour him and i just drove around and we just we just talked and you know he told me a little bit about himself and i learned a little bit about his music and you know and i share with him on you know my life or whatever where i was and and then it was that time and i took him to the tent and he gave me a handshake and thanked me and and that was that but you're right, man. Since then, I've seen him absolutely blow up in the charts, blow up in the scene. And it's like, oh, yeah. man, I spent a half hour with that dude just chopping it up, having life conversation. And those moments, bro, like that to me in, in what we do here, this thing of ours is music. That is to me is like that is the love language for me personally when it comes to music is getting to know someone's heart and not being this fanboy or this person that, you know, oh my gosh, you're blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, I got to know, I want you to know all these things about me, but I don't really care about you because you're just an idol in my mind. And I think when you remove that idea of somebody who you admire or that you respect in a craft, that really just changes the dichotomy of how you interact with people. And, and so that was, yeah. Oh, so yeah. not to, not to ramble, man, but that was when you bring up Phil Wickham, dude, that's, great. he was a great guy, man. Yeah. He was a fun, fun conversation for sure. Yes, he's very nice, and I know his whole family. I've worked with his brother, 
and I've worked with his dad and his sister is very talented and his mom's talented. They're all wow. good musicians. It's crazy. That's nuts, uh, man. But yeah, he's very nice. And how old was he? Or uh, how long ago was this? That was two thousand. That was two thousand ten. No, 2009. 2009. That was second year. years ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's been that long, man. That's crazy. Oh, my god. So gosh. he wasn't yet that big. He was just getting onto the scene. But right. boy, was he about to. Yeah. T- well, and I mean, that's the thing. It, that's the craziest part. Like, there was a band back in the 90s called PFR. Do you remember them? I do not. P- uh, they were called, Pre- well, the PFR was stood for Pray for Rain. And it was uh, yeah. Jeff Moore. He was part of Jeff Moore in the Distance. Do you remember that band? Yeah. I'm not. I'm not familiar with that band. Yeah. So they were like, like the whole Audio Adrenaline, DC Talk, Newsboys, Michael W. Smith era, where they were all like, kind of competing for the top like spot on the on the charts. Uh, Jeff Moore was like that. He was he was coming up in the scene and. Uh, and then you know he came out and you know in the 90s he was really big in that area but it just reminded me of that like those those artists that you like you said the newsboys it was funny you bring up the newsboys bro because i saw them in 91 in cedar rapids iowa at a festival called lamb jam and nicole c mullins was touring with them she was their backup vocalist and i had no idea who she was do you know who nicole c mullins is I've heard the name. Yeah. So she's a she a, again. She's like a, she's like the '90s version of Mandisa, like very soulful, very okay. poppy. Um, but she was coming up in the scene with the Newsboys. Like she was touring with them. And so when you say Newsboys, oh, are you kidding me, boy? Uh, dude, I went to like yeah. nine Newsboys shows in like four months. Like I was following them yeah. cats around, bro. So I'm with you there. So, but so back to what yeah. we're. I'm, I'm getting off topic here, man. I'm sorry. Um, You're good. Uh, I'm so excited to hear all this, man. So, so you're working with Phil Wickham. You're you're starting to grow your um, your repertoire. What's uh, so? Where are we at now in your in your career as far as you know who you're working with, what you're doing, like you know tour buses around the world, that kind of thing. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm I'm still newly married, just trying to get things going. But it seemed like everyone's kind of like, yeah, I want I want you to do remixes i want you to do this and slowly they start offering to pay me to do some of this stuff and i start making money off of that and and then that just kind of it just starts snowballing you know you just keep going and it's like okay more more and more people want it but then you start making some bigger connections um and you know by this time i'm kind of doing like this 50 50 drummer and producer hat thing you know I'm, yep. I'm drumming on uh friday nights saturday nights and sunday mornings and sunday nights oh, and geez. then and wednesday nights but then i'm producing <laughs> during the week oh man so i'm busy. kind of doing this 50 50 deal and trying to stay pretty busy and you know it's like is it good for the, the relationships to work that much uh you know probably not <laughs> debatable but, you right know, you're just <laughs> Yeah, but it's like you're really trying to get things going, and you do need to make money to pay rent. Yes. So if you're gonna, you know, work your butt off, I guess that's the time. So uh, my wife and I did that. We worked our butts off, and slowly it just starts turning into this like full-time production type of thing where, uh, you know, I'm kind of just staying busy all week doing this, and 
um, I finally get a chance to not play um, in some bands, you know, for whatever reason. It's kind of like, ah, we're going to take some time off. And I'm like, okay, I think I'll just not play anymore. And <laughs> wow. so slowly start playing with the, the bands. But I still keep like one church gig, which is like, you know, five services every Sunday, which is a lot. A lot. Um, yeah, because I, I don't know if it's like this everywhere. I don't think it is. But in Southern California, um, professional church musicianship is a real thing. Okay. And people people do that around here, like for their living. And not just like the worship leader, but like all musicians and i don't know if it's because uh like well i can tell you my experience calvary chapels out here are a really big deal yeah and they love music they support music like crazy right so they're willing to like invest in music so they bring in professional musicians to do all their music and it's not just like a higher for gig you know gig type of thing it's more relational re- relational than that so sure. I'm kind of making it sound a little cheap but they're willing to pay people whereas other churches kind of only do like a volunteer type of thing right right um, so here in Southern California there was like a lot of churches willing to pay and so me and my friends were all making able to like pay rent with church you know type of um gigs so that's awesome that, that though. was that was a big deal yeah because i know a lot of places around the world uh do not do that so that kind of enabled me to a pay the pay the rent but also make a lot of friends build like tons of relationships because i'm like playing at this church on sunday and then this one on wednesday and then this one on friday and they're all different you know so again, huge, huge deal to like build those relationships. But basically, I you know fast forward a few more years, and all the bands are kind of like starting to move on, and I just go, you know, with my wife. I'm like, I think I'm just gonna kind of be done playing drums. I mean, I'm getting tired. I'm getting into my 30s. You know, not that old, but you know, still my, though, my that's... drummer hands have been going on. Right. I, I mean. It, think about I'm 11 and I'm playing drums with my parents in a church every Sunday right fast forward to like I'm 30 let's see 35 36 okay I'm still doing the exact same thing right I'm playing in churches every Sunday and my arms are getting tired my back's tired my ears hurt <laughs> you just wore out bro <laughs> it, like, it sounds like yeah but you know it, it just made sense that I was like I think I need to let the next generation kind of, you know, have something to do too. You know, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's good. A lot. Yeah, but, and, and really, my my heart is kind of turning into more of a producer's heart. That's like I just want to be in a studio. I want to make the music in studio. I want to work from home. That just sounds like a dream. Um, I don't have to go out and tour anymore. Um, I was in this band called Doctor Seahorse. And it was with just me and this one other guy, Trevor Davis. He was this really, really good singer. Um, I mentioned him earlier. Yeah, but yeah. He had like kind of gotten big. He was on The Voice. He was on Team Blake. You know, um, so he was really good. And we had this duo thing that just started taking off. Um, 
and it was it became like my one of my full time gigs for a while. And we were touring the entire U.S. Oh wow! I mean, it was just me and Trevor, and it was great, super fun, super fun music, and super fun to perform. Easy because it was just two of us, um, and but you know I had kids, and he started having kids, and I was like, touring is just not family friendly you know i just can't be away for a week or two weeks that's just not gonna work that's so, rough you know our our poor wives are just like holding down the fort with like newborns while we're gone <laughs> you know, so, yeah you know i'm just i'm out there traveling around going yeah i'm 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 in maryland i'm in baltimore i'm in florida i'm gonna go you know i got some time to kill i'm gonna go see a movie in between our shows and you know our poor wives are at home with newborns like not sleeping you know just trying to hold down the fort you know so yeah it was just kind of like you know what this is um it's time to make some changes so so we did and i basically said here i'm home now we're gonna build up the studio i'm gonna work from home you're gonna work from home and that's all we've been doing for 10 years is just working from home uh, in our own studios my wife has a studio i got a studio that's what we do now. So <laughs> that's crazy, man. Because I I'm the same way, bro. I, you know, I grew up in the church. I grew up on, you know, we had a huge like 13 piece like Maranatha style um, church band, and uh, you know, we'd have like two hours of worship. Like today, it's like 25 minutes. Growing up in the church and and wanting that lifestyle of touring the world and and being you know out and about, like the fantasy of it versus the reality of it. And like you said, your family's back home. You know, your wife is holding down the fort. You got a newborn. And the reality is, okay, do I still want to do this um, because I have passion for it? Or is it just because I'm doing it to pay the bills? How were you able to um, start to work with some of these bands that I see names? Like I said, I don't want to drop names for you. I'll let you, whoever you want to share that you've worked with. But how were you able to just get in with these bands other than being available? Like, what did you do? Like, what was your niche? Yeah, that's a really good question. I like that a lot. Um, well, I kind of became around here. I became known for like as like the drum guy. Okay. I, everyone knew me as a drummer, but they also knew me as a drum programmer. Okay. I could just program beats like like anyone, and I could do any style. You know, it could be live drum style, or it could be hip hop. It could be dance EDM whatever it was, I just became like this drum programmer. And I also became known as like a very, um, very, uh, very dramatic and cinematic kind of producer that has like a lot of ups and downs and big hits. And, you know, I grew up doing a lot of symphonic music in school and listening to it. Yeah. So I have a lot of that experience of, of, um, orchestras and stuff like that. And, and very ensemble-ish. So like you think in drums, you're thinking drum lines, you're thinking symphonic orchestra, um, symphony, you know, percussion stuff in the back. And I do all of that stuff. Um, so I started incorporating that with a lot of bands. And one band that I did in particular that was local here was this band called Urban Rescue. They were a nobody band, you know, out of um, San Diego. Okay. And I started working with them early, but I stuck with them for some years. And they eventually got signed to some 
Christian label, some major label. I don't remember which one. Um, but they start becoming like the next big thing, if you will, you know, on the scene. Right. And all of Nashville was kind of like, Urban Rescue, Urban Rescue, who is this? You know, and they started going on tour with some big names. And because people were kind of digging the Urban Rescue sound, um, all these producers and engineers in Nashville started asking, who's doing that? You know, so... You know, and it was just me and one other guy. I mean, it's the lead singer of the band, Jordan. Right. He's the, he is the band, and then it's me <laughs> producing and doing all of it. Wow. So I kind of just got this reputation out in Nashville um, as the guy that does Urban Rescue. Um, so I started getting a call from Pete Kipley, who's a producer. He, you know, he did. I think he did like I can only imagine, and you know, some huge stuff. Uh, and then um, Nathan Knuckles, who's like Matt Redman's producer. Yeah, yeah. And um, Ed Cash, who is Chris Tomlin's producer, uh, amongst like hundreds and hundreds of other bands. But like, they just started calling me out of the blue. And I was like, wait, who's this? You know? <laughs> right. And they, they would just say like, yeah, I'm working on some songs. I just want to see what you would do if I, if I let you do some of the programming for it. And I'd just be like, yeah, sure, whatever. And it's like not that much money or anything, but I was just excited, you know? I was like, Absolutely. anyone that's willing to let me be a part of their project, I'm like, I'm, I'm a yes guy, and I'm like, if you ask, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, we'll make it happen. And so I remember my first, like, big project, um, it, was, it was Ed Cash and his brother, Scott Cash. And they said... Uh, here's a song it's this artist he needs like some big drums and he needs some more modern things so i i work on it um <laughs> i do my thing you know you know i give it back to them in a couple of days and they're like oh this is great 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 you know and i was like so i feel like i've heard this voice before who is this artist anyway? Because I, you know, I don't know what the rules are with like being nosy. Right, new right. I'm new to the scene. Sure. I'm like, just tell me what to do. I'll do it. But right. at the end, I was like, so who, who is this? And they're like, oh, this is the new single for Jeremy Camp. Oh boy. Like, oh yeah. I know that voice. Right. Because Jeremy Camp, he's from San Diego too. Oh, I didn't know so that. I've I've known him for a long time, and so I was like, I knew that voice. So. But by this time, Jeremy Camp is huge, you know? He's oh, yeah. He's one of the top names in CCM. Yes. And so Iconic that was voice. like the first time I was like, oh, okay. Uh, whenever I work with these guys, I guess I'm probably working on someone pretty significant, you know? Um, and, so, and so then it was like, start doing some more, and you're like, okay, this is, uh, I, I, I don't know, I'm trying to think who it is. It's been some years. But I remember I got one that was like the new single for a big artist. And I was like, okay, cool. I like this. I like this. And I work on it. And then I'm like, I know this voice. Who is this? And he's like, oh, this is Chris Tomlin. Oh, boy. I was like, okay. 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 Yeah. I know Chris Tomlin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was his new single. I mean, wow. these aren't just like songs that are, you know, kind of going on the album somewhere or maybe. It's like... Here's the new single for Chris Tomlin. I think it's called Jesus Loves Me. Um, like chart uh, toppers. album. 
wow. And now, now yeah. what year was this? Like, at what point, like in your career, or what year was that that you were starting to do this with these guys? Um, this would be about six years ago. Okay. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, and it just started um, becoming a lot of that, and so I got call for Matt Redman's new single, and Hillsong, and. Jesus culture and I worked on um, Bethel you made you make me brave I mean I I didn't know that that song was such a big song you you know the song you make me brave yeah 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 it feels like that's that's now like a staple church song right Everyone does it but but at the time I didn't know it and they asked me to produce or help co-produce with Jason Ingram who's a nice. huge name in songwriting. Yes. But he said, yeah, let's, we want to do the studio version of You Make Me Bray. And I was like, let's oh, go. Wow, that's a big song. Yes. Let's do the studio version. <laughs> so, so they actually let me kind of just run with that studio version. And I made this very up-tempo, like kind of quasi-dancey, kind of poppy, kind of, uh, you know, Katy Perry was really big at the time, stuff like that. So I was like, let's make it relevant in that pop world. But it's You Make Me Brave. Obviously, it's that song. Okay. And I actually gave it to them, and they're like, you know, this is good. It's a little too upbeat and a little too fun, you know. So I, I made a bunch of changes, and I kind of, you know, I don't want to... I was going to say I dumbed it down a little bit. <laughs> I probably just calmed it down. I calmed it down. That's a know? good term. I like um, that term. Yeah. Um, it made it a little more accessible probably to the, the general audience. Um, and then they released that version. But then they asked me if I would do the official remix of that song. And so then I could go back and do all my fun, like upbeat, exciting production ideas. So I got to do both versions, which is really cool. Um, two different versions of the same song um, can be challenging, but it's also really fun because I can listen to a song and I could go, that makes a great ballad. It also makes a great um, EDM track. And <laughs> nice remix. This, it could be like a killer hip hop track. Yeah. You know, so I, that's just how my brain works. Sure. Like, possibilities that just never seem to end. Um, so those are some of the big projects and names that kind of just came out of nowhere within like a year or two i had just done all those things and um you know that kind of helps the reputation locally right <laughs> so people get excited about that and you're like okay uh, i guess i guess we want you to do our album too because you did Matt I guess you good. want. I <laughs> guess we want you to, since you did this, like, yeah, yeah multi-talented, multi, yeah, platinum-selling artist. Uh, come work with us. That's crazy. Yeah. So it helps, you know. And, oh yeah. And I've I've never been like a a show-off kind of look at me kind of guy. Like I don't I don't post a lot of stuff. I keep to myself. Like I said, I'm I'm an introvert. I like to just work and you know just get stuff done. I'm not a showboater, but you know, people eventually figured it out. And so um, I was lucky enough that people would ask me to work on their projects around here too. So that kept me busy. 
That's and still does. <laughs> that's awesome. Okay, so I want to rewind a little bit because one of the uh, things that impressed me, and I didn't know this when I first asked you to come work. Well, when I okay, so let me rewind this one more time. I found you on Facebook. Um, I saw that you know you had a studio, and I was like, okay, this guy's got to be good because you know if he's willing to promote his business on Facebook, then he's got to be decent, right? Because I hadn't, I didn't know anything about you. I didn't know anything about your credentials, anything when I asked you to uh, to mix and master Love Has a Way, and I remember reaching out to you and, and sending uh, the song to you, and you're like. You know, yeah, man, give me a couple of days and I'll get you a rough mix and then, you know, we can tweak it and then go from there. And I was like, okay. And now my previous experience with working with engineers and, and, you know, producers and whatnot on singles was, you know, I was waiting a couple of months to get a, a rough mix back, you know, and not trying to hound them. But like, come on, man, it shouldn't take you that long to do a four minute song, right? And so when you sent me the first mix of Love Has A Way, I'll never forget it. I, I opened my email and I remember walking into um, the office at the time in my house and I sat down on the, on the piano bench and I remember just hitting play and I sat there with my mouth just gaped open because you took that song and it was like to me it was like a junior high high school um you know attempt for me personally you know to to you know i recorded everything except for the guitars in my own studio you know i i wrote the progression i wrote the lyrics i mean i i pretty much wrote and did the whole song myself so good bad or ugly for me having somebody with your caliber and not even knowing your caliber at the time come in and do what you did to that song and i remember just sitting there and i think i listened to it like five times and i'm like this is freaking amazing and i remember reaching out and saying okay you know can we tweak this a little bit tweak that and like yeah man no problem and, and then you sent me the final mix and to this day i still brag to people when they ask me like who mixed and mastered that and i'm i tell them and they're just like oh man they go check you out and they see your credentials and everything they're like well, how, how'd you get him to come and work on your you know like he's a big time you know producer engineer i'm like i just asked him and he said yes <laughs> and you know and i mean and i say rewind too because in the in the midst of looking at your credentials one of the artists that you've worked with in the past, and I'd love to hear in a you know a quick story if you're willing to share, but one of the artists that you've worked with, and I will drop his name because he's my boy too, but my man Dominic Valley, uh, you worked with him, and you know Dom and I go back like car seats, but I would love if you're willing to share with me a little bit on how you worked with Dom. Yeah, well, um, yeah, thanks. That that was very nice of you to say. I'm I, I'm glad you were happy with that yes. <laughs> project. That was fun to work on. So thanks for telling me that. It's, it's nice to hear. Yes, sir. Um, but yeah, Dom. Let's see, Dom. Uh, I one of my best friends. His name is Joseph Pfeiffer. He is a singer songwriter. I've known him for 20 years. He's one of my favorite people to work with. But he was very good friends with Dom and uh, Chris Mann. And they kind of had like a little band thing going on together. Um, so he just introduced me to Dom and um, I think Dom just wanted a, I'm trying to think, it was, I think it was a remix of one of his songs. He had his song, uh, All We Need Is Love. Yes. Um, on his first album. Yes. And I loved that song. Oh, first of all, I'm, I'm, 
I'm a big reggae guy. I, I, uh, Bob Marley is one of my all-time favorites. And so Dom and I hit it off instantly because I just love reggae. Yeah. I mean, to give you a little peek, I, I took my wife to Jamaica for our honeymoon. Let's go. Because I wanted to go to Bob Marley's uh, <laughs> grave site. Oh, mercy. And pay homage. I mean, That's so awesome. We, did. we went to Jamaica and went to his grave site on our honeymoon. That's awesome, um, dude. That's how big of a fan I am. Nice. So Dom and I hit it off instantly with that. He had the dreads and all. He had the sound. I was like, great. I was like, but I'm really more of like a pop kind of dance-ish kind of producer, you know, kind of naturally. Right. He's like, yeah, let's let's do it. So I did like a, basically a Black Eyed Peas version of Dom's song. Yep. Um, and everyone seemed to really like it. It did really well. Um, it got a lot of recognition from all his people. So that was kind of our, our first project was definitely a big hit. And then we went on to do more songs together on his next album. Right. So that was fun. Yeah. That's crazy. Early days. That song, man, it's so funny that you bring it up. Um, we were at a Cheddar's, um, this is years back. And uh, when I first heard about Dominique Bally, my brother was going to his church in Carpinteria. And he sent me um, the first record, and he said, you got to listen to the song Warrior. And I was like, okay. And I'm not a big reggae fan because I grew up in the Midwest, so I grew up on that, you know, on the the country rock kind of feel, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I heard Warrior, and I was hooked. And so I think I, I wore that CD out because it stopped playing after, like, you know, 50 million times of it being, re, you know, repeated. Sure. But all you need is love. All we need is love. Yes. We are at a Cheddar's, my wife and I and my two kids at the time. And we're waiting outside to get seated. And that song, but not the original, the the up-tempo, I think, which is the one you said you remixed, right? It's like it's got yeah. like the, the keyboards or it's got, I don't know if it's a synth at the beginning, but it's like the tempos. It's like an up-tempo version of that song. Yeah. And it comes on it. It, it comes on the overheads of the speaker at, the, at Cheddar's. And I'm like, my daughter is a big Dom fan. She's like, Daddy, Daddy, look, listen. And I'm like, I'm like, what? And so I start singing along, and, and people are kind of looking at me funny. And my wife's like, who is that, honey? I said, that's Dominique Bally. And she was like, what? And I said, yeah. And like, so, I mean, we're bobbing our heads to it outside of Cheddar's, man, just waiting to get seated, bro. So that's no super dope wow. that, that of all the songs, man, that you uh, – you know that you worked with him on but the, you know kind of the beginning that that song because that's one of my favorites man i will bump that ride oh dude i love that song so same same that's one that i can listen to still and enjoy it uh, oh, man. <laughs> to this day True. i'm very proud of it yeah that's good that stuff a, man that was a long time ago i mean that was that was probably what like 14 13 14 years ago i mean somewhere around there so, right, because it came out minute, in oh but, what the the record came out the original record came out in what oh eight oh nine I think wasn't it something like that or was it earlier uh, than that? I I don't know when it came out. It was already kind of like out right when I met him. So um, I, don't, I don't know. I'm so bad with timelines. Everything is just flying by. Sure, that's <laughs> cool though. But that, I mean, that's awesome. And you know, to hear your journey, bro, and hear you know all the things that you've gotten to do, and God's just really blessed you in that, you know, in that realm and in that, uh, in those seasons. That, 
you know, it, it says something to when people say be, stay faithful because, you know, we might not always get to do what we want to do, you know, in a certain season, but God has a reason for us doing those things, you know, and hearing, you know, the fact that you were a drummer for those years and then, you know, you realize, you know, I, I really want to diversify and, and kind of spread my wings. And now here you are. I mean, I've been looking, I'm looking at your credits, bro. And again, not dropping names, but I mean, you've already said some huge heavy hitters in the Christian scene, bro, like Tomlin and Matt Redman and, uh, you know, Phil Wickham and Dom, those guys. I mean, all of them have huge credits to their name. And the fact that, you know, like you said, I, I get to work with these guys and I don't really care if, you know, people necessarily know who I am per se, because I know who I am and I'm you're good with that. And I, I respect that. Mark, I really do because, you know, so many people want to gain recognition for, you know, their accomplishments. And it's like, well, what have you done? Well, I did this. And it's like, oh, you mean like 30 years ago you did one thing, right? And it's like, would you rather just continue to grind out successful, you know, work? And people go, you know, who did, who who worked with you on that? And you're like, oh, this person did. Oh, really? And then you meet that person, or you get to talk to that person, like I am with you today, and the humility, and the, and then just, I mean, we we did a total of three songs, you and I did, and all three of them, bro. Like, I mean, every mix was different, every mix was amazing, every, I mean, I'm excited to see what, um, you know, I've got some songs in the studio now that I'm getting ready to finish up, and so, uh, you know, I'm I'm needing them to be mixed and mastered. So, my last two questions for you, and then we'll wrap this up, but. What, um, of all the years when you played drums, what was your most, first question, what was your most favorite venue that you remember playing in? Boy, there's been a lot. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Right? There's been a lot. Tie between um, House of Blues, the local, right, it's it's a big, you know, big uh, venue, but not big it's intimate but big it's right got a good sound system it's got a good stage that's elevated um it's got a nice green room uh, i could sit out there and listen to it and i enjoy it or i could be on stage and it feels really good you know um the other venue that i really like is the local amphitheater here at san diego state university um they have an outdoor amphitheater that seats I'm going to say something like two or 3,000. Okay. Um, and it's an outdoor amphitheater. So you've got that like big, expansive feel. Um, and I just remember that feeling so good because, you know, that's a big stage. That's where the big names come and play. Nice. Um, and that's like when you hit your kick drum, the whole place is just bumping. You know, oh, like, yeah. I have so much power. I love that <laughs> feeling. With this foot. Yes. There's so much power. And they give you these monitors that are bigger than, like, most main stage, main, <laughs> main speakers. Yeah, like, yeah. This is all just for me. Right. It's like these huge stack speakers just for me to listen to. That's awesome. I mean, so I hit my kick drum, and you just, there's no... It's so much power, it feels great. So. That's awesome, man. It's a tie. Uh, that's okay. So blues is that House of Blues? Is that right off of La Jolla um, Drive or La Jolla Boulevard in San Diego? Uh, it's actually downtown. San okay. Diego. Okay. Yeah. That's funny because we were a funny quick story. My wife and I, before we were married, we actually took a trip to California and we went to SeaWorld and uh, we wanted to go to the House of Blues 
or was it never mind scratch that it wasn't house of blues it was the other it was the other one it was the um what's the other famous um music venue it's uh uh hard rock cafe that's the one i was thinking of that was off of la jolla anyways all right at a time okay yeah. Anyways, no. I was thinking we were we were, but it was on La Jolla Drive or La Jolla Boulevard. And I know what you're talking about. You yeah, do. I <laughs> we. I didn't know how to spell La Jolla at the time, so I thought that La Jolla was like was was it La Jolla? Yeah, La Jolla. So we're driving around like jack wagons looking for La Jolla Drive, and I finally go into a gas station, and I said to the cat, I said, "Hey, man, I'm looking for La Jolla Drive." He's like, "Man, you're on it." I was like, "No, dude. What do you mean?" He's like. You're on La Jolla Drive. And I was like, dude, it says La Jolla. He says, you're not from here, are you? And I said, no, I'm not. And he goes, yeah, I can, I can, I can tell. But uh, all right. So anyways, stupid, stupid story. But um, okay, so those are awesome venues already. I'm, I'm, those are bucket list venues for me. And even I've never even been there. But just the fact that you, you know, you endorse them, I want to go play those. So um, the second question I have. What is the uh, the most people you've gotten to play in front of as uh, as a drummer? Okay, um, it's it's probably one of two that I can think of. Um, when I was playing drums for a, a church um, called Horizon Fellowship out here, they were at the time the biggest church in San Diego. And they would um, put on big conventions, and I'm completely gonna blank on the name, but they put on like a big convention at the San Diego State Arena. Okay. Um, for San Diego State here, and I'm gonna blank on the name because you know it was some really big name. Oh shoot! Gosh, I so wish I could remember who this was. <laughs> Um, he was like a he was like an evangelist that was in town. Um, it was kind of like a Billy Graham crusade, you okay. know, something like that. It wasn't him, but it was someone like that. Similar, gotcha. And so we, yeah, we played uh, for that at in this arena, which uh, I don't know how many people it holds. Um, gosh, I would just guess. Uh, Twenty thousand. Okay, hey, know, something. Man, um, that's so a good. That's a good amount. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, a lot of power in that kick drum. <laughs> for sure. Love it. Um, so I, I did that, and then also with that church, we also traveled to uh, South Korea. Oh wow. Um, yeah, and I got to play drums in South Korea at a festival. Um, and I don't remember what the festival was called, um, but it was big. And they would just rent out all the local arenas, and we would just play in arenas. Um, and it was basically an outreach, like a Billy Graham crusade. And um, yeah, just playing in this massive arena. It's, it's, I think they're probably soccer arenas or you know, football sure. arenas. Yeah, yeah. Huge. 150,000 <laughs> people. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're talking, I don't know, again, 20, 30,000 people. That's awesome. In those things. Yeah. Um, so, those are probably the biggest. There's a few of those. 
Uh, I can't think of anything else, but yeah, that'll do. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. I, I even one time to get to do that. Like it's funny when you hear artists talk about, um, as far as like local artists, you know, they've played in front of a couple hundred and, and some people are, Oh, that's not very much. And it's like, when you get to perform in front of one person that is, you know, that you have that audience, like they're watching you, they're listening to you, they're engaging you. And I know one person, okay, fine. But my point is is that when you have a group of people that are engaged in what you're doing like to me as an artist as a musician like you know i've played in from you know in front of some decent sized crowds nothing to brag about by any means and I, even if i played in front of a million i still wouldn't brag it would be more like i got an opportunity to get up and just do what i love to do so i mean twenty thousand, bro that's that's nothing to shake you know that's a good a lot of people man that's that's bigger than a lot of small cities in the midwest so i mean twenty thousand, man that's I, I'll take that all day, bro. I, I'll take a trip to South Korea to play music and, you know, sit in the green room and wait and, you know, travel. And I mean, that's the thing, too, I think people forget is like when you love what you do, right? Because you hear people that do jobs and careers in different fields and they say, I love what I do. And you're like, really? You love doing that? And like, yeah. And, you know, it might not make sense to one person that another person loves what they do. And, you know, I've heard musicians who have been, you know, set life session musicians that make five hundred, six hundred, a thousand dollars an hour. And they do it just to get a paycheck. And I'm like, you don't love doing that? And they're like, why? It's notes and, and chords and breaks and changes and crescendos and it, it's just it's all the same thing. And you're like, but you get to create something. They're like, Well, it's kinda created for me. And and when I hear that I just it saddens my heart because I'm like Oh man, you maybe maybe you do need to change your uh, you know your career then if that's how you think about it. But you know that's just one you know one guy from another. But um, so Mark, what are we up to this year in twenty three? What what's uh, what do you got going on, my man? Well, it's it is mostly the same that it's been for the last ten years, which is me just producing and mixing and mastering a lot of stuff. Um, I'm working a lot more locally and a lot more in the pop realm nowadays. Okay. Um, less, less church gigs and less Nashville gigs. I'm doing a lot of pop artists. Some even from just other countries. Like there's a handful of like people from Australia I've been working with. Um, this this artist Bianca. Um, uh, I'm gonna just blank on all their names right now. That's <laughs> clearly not my forte, right. but <laughs> but not because they're not important. Uh, this is not how my brain works. Sure, sure. Um, but just a lot of pop artists from Australia, LA, and and locally, um, super fun. The the band O Town, which is one of my my friends. You know, they were a boy band in the early era. They oh, were yes. the MTV making of the band. Yep, I remember know? them. Um, yeah, you know, the Backstreet Boys and the NSYNC and 98 Degrees and then O-Town. You know, yep. they were one of them. Yep. So I I did their last two records in um, in the last nine years. Okay. And we're going to start a third record this year. Oh, wow. Um, so that's going to be fun. That's like, you know, that's one of those records that's, super fun because you know it's going to be heard yep. you know it's going to be heard and seen a lot yep. those guys you know go on like late night shows and perform on late night shows you know 
the the felons and whatever they still do that I and mean, right. these guys are now like 40 something but they're still out there <laughs> doing that thing because yep. they can and they still yeah. like it you yes know? like backstreet boys they're not out doing much because they're i think they got burned out and see camp because justin timberlake won't join the band again and right everyone has disbanded but o-town is still kicking that's awesome uh, so i'm super proud of those guys and um i love working with them i consider them good friends now but when we work we work hard at a high level um so that they always kick my butt you know i i will work 30 40 hours on a song <laughs> which is you know more than double like what i would normally work on a typical song so sure. they will put me to work for that, sure that's but good it's, man it's it's all the best kind you know yes. they challenge me but it's fun that's awesome man so 23 looks like it's up and coming bro because um you know we're i know we're only in january but that's amazing bro i'm i am truly honored that you uh came and sat with me today and shared your journey with me mark because i am looking forward to to seeing what uh, the future brings like i said man i've got a few singles that uh are uh you know almost done and um i would love just to you know get some uh get some mark on it and get you uh get you working on some stuff again for me because like i said man what what we already did bro is um i I still love it man i still i I love what you did on the mixes and the masters and everything so uh i'm looking forward to seeing what we can do hopefully here this year and and, in the future man yeah absolutely i can't wait i'm 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 ready (laughs) well that's awesome man well i think we're out of time today so uh you have been listening to TK's A Brigade, and I am on the phone with Mark. Uh, Mark, again, thank you for coming on the phone with me and just sharing your journey, brother. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. All right, brother. Well, hey, man, let's stay in touch, and uh, and then we'll catch up soon. Sounds good. All right, Mark. Take care. Thank you. You too, bro. Have a great day.